listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Well, please turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. And so I just want to read one verse. It's contained in the letter addressed to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. It's the verse number 12 of chapter 3, where the Lord says to the church, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. We have very briefly surveyed these seven letters. One of the things that stands out to my mind is the very simple fact that the Lord knows his churches. The Lord's knowledge of local churches, individual churches, part of the greater company, but marked by their own, their own overseers, their own attendees, and certainly their own distinctives. The Lord walks in the midst of the churches, and he makes accurate assessments. You look back to chapter 2 and the verse number 2, the very letter, the first letter of the first church in Ephesus, I know thy works. The same in verse number 19 of chapter 2, verse 1 of chapter 3, verse 8 of chapter 3, and again verse 15 of chapter 3, I know thy works. The sense the Lord's knowledge, that is a comfort and a correction. And it's meant to be both. The sense of the Lord, his eyes are in every place. He beholds the evil and the good. And so it is for Christ. He walks in the midst of the candlesticks. He sees. He sees our righteousness. And he is not unmindful. He's not unfaithful, to un- unrighteous to forget our labor of love. And he's also, he's also able to see those areas that we are failing in, areas that we need the word of rebuke and chastisement. The churches here are commended particularly for faithfulness. And in the context of Revelation, that faithfulness is defined as a maintaining of a witness for Christ in the midst of persecution. Chapter 2, verse number 2 again, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. Verse 13, I know thy works, where thou dwellest, where even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. Chapter 3, and the verse number 8, you're just seeing this theme of, of the commendation of their faithfulness. Verse number 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and not denied my name. Remember the context here? The Roman ruler was demanding that people would say that Caesar is Lord. But those who are believers, they were determined to resolve in their souls, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. He alone is Lord, and I'll bow the knee to Christ and Christ alone. And the churches are commended for this. They haven't forsaken the faith. They haven't turned away. They haven't apostatized altogether. And yet, in these seven churches, there are only two that escape rebuke. The church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia escape rebuke. The others are rebuked for various things, but I could summarize those in three ways. They're rebuked for doctrinal compromise, for moral compromise, and for spiritual coldness. 
Look back, chapter 2, and the verse number 13. I know thy works, where thou dwellest. And then verse number 14, I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Here's, here's doctrinal compromise, teaching that is marked by a compromised spirit. Verse 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. The consequence of doctrinal compromise was a subsequent moral compromise. You look at chapter 2, for example, verse number 20. Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which callest herself a prophetess, to teach, to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Verse 22. I will cast her into a bed. And listen. And them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation. And here you see an influential teacher in the church. She should not have been so, but she was. And she's, through her teaching, leading people not only to think incorrectly, but then also to succumb to spiritual, and I believe, moral compromise. Chapter 3, verse number 4. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. The implication being, there are many who have defiled their garments. Here we're living lives marked by moral compromise. And so in a spirit of doctrinal compromise and moral compromise, there is then the constant danger of spiritual coldness. Chapter 2, verse 4, And nevertheless I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Chapter 3, verse 16, So then, because thou art lukewarm. And you get in those two terms the sense of the coldness of spiritual affection. A lack of love, a lack of fervent love for Christ Jesus. You see, in many ways, when you read the seven letters together, and you read about all these churches, you get an insight into what the Lord expects for us as a church. And what the Lord expects of you as an individual in the church. Well, yes, I've made the point several times that these are letters to churches and it discusses their, their general status. But of course, a church is only made up of individuals. And this is the Lord's expectation of individuals. We are, by grace, to be faithful in maintaining a witness for Christ, the true Christ and the true gospel. We've got to maintain doctrinal purity in the midst of, again, the tendency towards doctrinal compromise we should seek after and preserve what we might term doctrinal orthodoxy and moral orthopraxy. The word ortho speaks of straightness, orthodoxy, straight doctrine, orthopraxy, straight living. You want both straight living and straight thinking. Straight thinking and straight living. They always come together. And spiritual vitality, not being lukewarm, not leaving your first love, spiritual vitality depends on the maintaining of this doctrinal and moral uprightness. These all come together. There is a thirst in some circles for spiritual vibrancy. They want, they want spiritual heights and emotional feelings. And that's in itself not intrinsically wrong. We should want the joy of the Lord. But spiritual vibrancy individually or as a church will not come in the absence of doctrinal orthodoxy and moral orthopraxy. And so we are reminded 
that in each of these churches there are promises given to the overcomers. That term itself reminds us of the battle that we're involved in. You see there verse number 12 of chapter 3, our text for tonight, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Overcoming. The word elsewhere in Revelation speaks of conquering and the conqueror. The overcomers are those who engage in the battle and win. That we'd overcome by the grace of God. So each letter ends. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. The Lord speaks to us through his Spirit. And the question is, will we hear his word? These are seven letters. Seven churches. Christ, the speaker in each case, but the one who speaks through the Spirit. Hence we are told, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Hearing the word of Christ and believing that word is vital if we are to overcome. You think of the wilderness people described in Hebrews chapter 4 as having the gospel preached unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so the writer quotes Psalm 95 today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. So suppose we come to the end of this section of Revelation, we come to the end of these seven letters. I encourage you to go back through them, read them again. Have you heard what the Spirit has said to the churches today? If you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Seek after doctrinal purity, mortal purity, and then that spiritual vitality that comes with it. Make sure all three of these things are upon your heart. But if we are to hear the Lord's voice, we are not just to hear the rebukes. We tend to hear those best. As believers, we come to know our own sin and so when the word of rebuke comes to our hearts on the Lord's day, we, we tend to think, oh, the Lord spoke to me today. We are suspicious of the encouragements, and we readily accept the rebukes. It's part of what we're like. And as believers, particularly in the conservative church, we are more inclined to hear the rebukes than the encouragements. But each of these letters ends with some tremendous words of encouragement. And if we're to hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, we must also hear the promises. After all, the wilderness people died in the wilderness in the Old Testament because they did not believe the promises. They failed to hear the promises of God, that He would bring them into the promised land. And each of these encouragements to the churches is again an encouragement and a promise that if we overcome, He will bring us into the promised land. And there's a danger that we may fail to hear. We may succumb to unbelief and we live this life looking at this world's problems and lose sight of the promises that are given to us by Christ through these letters to his churches. And so I want to circle back and look at one more of these promises. And it is the promise given to the church in Philadelphia, verse number 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Like each of the promises we've seen before, this promise comes in the sense of eternal life and glory, the world that is to come. Well, there are two things. I want you to note the pillar and the naming. Just two things. Note the pillar and then note the naming. The pillar is involved here. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. 
pillars in the temple. You can't think of this without considering the words of 1 Kings chapter 7 in the construction of Solomon's temple. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple, and he set up the right pillar and called the name thereof Jachin, and he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. You see the connection here? Pillars that are named. We have a pillar mentioned here in verse 12, and we're going to see a naming just after. Pillars that are named. And so here there are pillars in Solomon's temple named Jachin and Boaz. Jachin, the thought of being established. Boaz, the thought of his strength, or in him there is strength. This idea, these pillars, these structures, they mark stability and strength in the house of God. That sense is what Christ draws on in verse number 12. I will make a pillar and he shall go no more out. It is that final stamp of our eternal security, the promise that we will be a permanent pillar in the house of God. No probation period like Adam knew. Now a sense of absolute final security with no possibility of the pillars of the temple ever, ever being pulled down. Not like the Babylon captivity where those temple pillars are removed. You can read that in the Old Testament. But the sense of pillars that will not be removed. Permanence. The purpose of which is to display beauty. We think of pillars as things that hold up a structure. Now, the idea here, yes, I'm sure they may have had some weight-loading properties, but primarily they were to bring a sense of beauty and ornateness and to elevate the sight in the temple, a sense of glory, the height and the magnificence of the temple and the construction of the pillars. These were large pillars, and they were constructed to show beauty. You think of the church described by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, the ground of the truth, the foundation, the church that is, is the foundation of, of teaching truth, but the pillar that shows the beauty of the truth, pillars that display the beauty of grace. That's a sense here. These are beautified pillars in the temple of God that show the ornateness of God's grace in Christ Jesus. A display of the wonders of God's saving grace and redemptive kindness toward us. That's what we'll be. For all eternity, we'll be to the praise of his glory. That's what Christ does in us. He, he, he prepares us a, a beautiful bride without spot or blemish that we would show grace in all of our ways. But what I want you to think about tonight is we understand that is our prospect. But what is our prospect then ought to be true in part now. We have now everlasting life. And if this description of everlasting life in glory is what is to be expected, and that's everlasting life, then it's also true in part now. And so, in a sense, we already function as pillars in the temple of God. Not in this final eschatological sense, but in the sense that we we show the beauty of Christ, and we do so through our stability in the things of grace. This 
section, these two chapters, they command the perseverance of not denying the faith. And in perseverance and in stability, so then we show the wonders of God's grace. When we're blown about, we show to the world, well, where is a sense of Christ's faithfulness? These people seem to they believe one day, they disbelieve the next day, there's, there's no stability in their convictions or their practice. They're this one day, something else another day. Where is their stability? But by God's grace, when we are stable, we show the beauty of God's grace. A grace that changed our lives and a grace that, that marvels in the wonders of God's kindness toward us. So we can do that. The salvation of sinners shows the glory of God's grace in Christ. It will do so for all eternity. And praise God it does so in part even now. What about the naming then? Well, there are a naming mentioned here. I'll write upon him the name of my God. But the naming here is threefold. The name of my God, the name of the city of my God, and then finally, I will write upon him my new name. Christ himself will write his name upon us in glory. So what are the meaning, what is the meaning of these threefold namings? Well, God's name, I will write upon him the name of my God. I think all three of the namings certainly convey the sense of belonging. Well, yeah, we belong to the Lord. Isn't that not the promise of the covenant? I will be their God. And he puts his name, he inscribes his name upon us. We belong to him. What a, what a blessed assurance that is. But the name of God in the scriptures, as you will know, is not just the name whereby he is called, but it is the name whereby he is revealed. Who he is in his, in his glorious attributes. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run in or safe. The name of God that we see revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his justice, we, we see all that in the, in the name of God. And so to have God's name upon us is to be conformed to the likeness of God. His name is holy. Be holy for I am holy. And the expectation of the children of God is likeness to God in moral holiness. We will see him and be like him. His name written upon us in glory. Once more, what is true then is true in part now. It's not only a prospect, it is a present reality that we are made more like our God and Father day by day as he works in us by grace. The naming, God's name. Secondly, the city's name. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. This city is referred to, is defined by Christ here as coming down out of heaven from my God. This is the, the rationale behind this being an eternal uh, and ultimate fulfillment in the new heavens and the new earth. You see, turn to Revelation 21, and you see this the concept being drawn out again, Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, if you can keep that in your minds... And listen to the words of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. So Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth. 
Isaiah 65, verse 18, But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. Revelation 21, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So this, this city that comes down, Isaiah 65, Revelation 21, is parallel to the new heavens and the new earth. So this city that comes down from heaven is the finality of the fulfillment of God's covenant of grace to his people. Hence, you see the city defined, Revelation 21, verse number 9. The angels come and say, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The city that cometh down out of heaven from my God. That city is written upon us in glory. It denotes the fact that we are part of that city as citizens of one city, one family. Each and every child of God were citizens of the same city. We should never think of heaven in some way that we're going to have denominational divisions. Perfect unity. The unity of all those who are the children of God because the same city's name is etched upon each and every individual for all eternity. The name of Jerusalem. Ramsey, the commentator, says this. The name of the city inscribed represents this not as a solitary bliss, but as the fullest possible development of the social element as a participation in all the rights and privileges of a heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, whose glories are afterwards described. It represents a conqueror as one of a mighty throng bound to each other by ties of eternal love and personal union to Christ. It is a tragedy that people express a desire to be part of the new heavens and the new earth who have no desire to be part of Christ's church on earth. That is inconsistent to the highest degree because the expectation of the child of God is a part of this glorious social community in all, for all eternity. This city's name written upon us, marking our unity and our community in Christ Jesus. The third name is Christ's name. I will write upon him my new name. These are hard things to fully define and understand. Christ's new name may well speak to that name that is given. The name above every name. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. A sense of the name that he has as the exalted mediator. As the glorified Messiah. And so having his name upon us denotes our connection to he who is the glorified anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. And so we, we in a sense, in glory, enter into the fullness of his mediatorial work. He is our prophet. And in glory, we have the expectation, the fullness of revelation. Now we see in part. Then we see. 
We see Christ. We see the glory of God. We, we see the fullness of his revelation. Oh yes, eternity will not occupy or will not be sufficient to occupy our minds and to enable us to grasp these things. But we will see the fullness of Christ's work as prophet. Now, we're like those who we, we still need meat or milk and we can't have meat. But when we share in Christ's fullness as our prophet, we will, we will see all of these things. We have the fullness of his work as our priest. Fullness of access. Confident access in the presence of God. As our king, we will share in his dominion. Isn't that not the promise the let us see in church? For those who overcome, verse number 21, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? We share in Christ's work as king. We share in the power and the judgment which shall end the conflict. The sense is, if this new Jerusalem speaks of the new heavens and the new earth, and we share in Christ's reign, we have his name upon us as our mediator, then we have the expectation that we will exercise perfect dominion over a new creation. That means the creation cannot harm us. What a blessing. These things are the prospect of every child of God. Not just those who are special, but everyone who by grace overcomes and perseveres to the end. These blessings are not entirely new, or will not be entirely new. Rather, they are the fullness of the blessings that we enjoy even now. Yes, due to sin, due to Satan, due to our doubts, due to our own follies, we don't enjoy the fullness of these blessings now. But we shall enjoy them in their fullness hereafter. But even now in Christ we are secure. We are pillars. And we shall not be moved from Christ. Even now with the blessings belonging to the Lord. We're part of his city, his people. He is our prophet. And we see through him and by him. He is our priest. We've accessed by him. And he is our king. Even now we enjoy, we enjoy to some degree the subduing of our enemies by his mighty power. And so live. Those that have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Hear the rebukes. Guard your heart from moral and doctrinal compromise. Seek spiritual vitality. And do so with the promises of God resting in your heart. And that we will gladly pursue these things for the glory of Christ's name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.